Memory drawing. What is it? How do you do it? And why? These are all questions you may have asked yourself at one time or another, especially if you are a Charlotte Mason educator. We know it was a feature of the feast, but sometimes we need a little help in understanding things how Charlotte saw them. We might have the lack of confidence to implement this important idea in the past, but today that changes. I've asked Emily Kaiser here on the show today to help me and all of you to think through this topic and to help apply it in our homes and lives. Emily Kaiser is well known in the CM community because she also hosts and produces her own podcast, A Delectable Education, a valuable ministry to all of us who are educating with Mason's philosophy. Emily's school background is in studio art, and now she's a mother of four young ones, a wife to a teacher and writer, and she and Liz Cottrell run the Living Books Library in Bristol, Virginia. Emily has written all of the picture study portfolios available through Simply Charlotte Mason and has also led many workshops on the topics of drawing and art at various conferences and retreats. So, because Emily is a Mason expert and because she also has a special interest in the topics I talk about here, She will be our guide today, wading through the murky waters of memory work. Thank you for being here with us today, Emily. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so can we briefly go over the general drift and type of work found through a student's drawing coursework in a CM school? Absolutely. So there are three general types of drawing work done in the Parents Union School, which was um, Charlotte Mason School, or her curriculum. And I like to think about them in these three broad categories. Of course, there was drawing from observation, but there was also imaginative drawing and also memory drawing. And the last of these, I think, is really the foundation of even the first two types of drawing as well. Okay, so for a more detailed outline on drawing in Charlotte Mason, I will actually link to the A Delectable Education episode where they talk about it. It's episode 98. So look for that in my show notes. And with all this talk about the memory drawing, and now I'm sort of seeing it as even more prominent than maybe I Mm -hmm. assumed before, and as well, the imaginative work, that seems to be a pretty huge piece. It does. And yeah, so what is a memory drawing and why should we do this type of drawing or require our students to do this type of drawing? Yeah, well, I think it was a surprise to me as well. And it wasn't until I did a systematic look because it's something, you know, sometimes she doesn't talk about it in her volumes. And then we see it on the programs. We're like, where did this come from? But it makes sense. And she talks about developing the memory, I think, a lot. And once you start looking at it, you know, looking for it and it permeated your consciousness, you see it a lot more places. But um, basically, memory drawing is making drawings out of our head. But they first require us to draw upon our stored visual images. So they all memory drawing requires observation. We've stored pictures of all kinds of things in our memories. And to make a memory drawing, we have to rely on those stored pictures or images that we have already inside our mind's eye. So I like to think about it as sort of a visual narration. And just like when we narrate something that we've read or heard and we find sometimes that our memories 
fail us and we can't articulate some detail that we thought we knew or sometimes even a, you know, a big chunk or we just can't put it all together again. And that's a good test for ourselves. Like, oh, I don't think I really was paying attention. I think memory drawing can serve the same function because we can't draw what we haven't really seen, just like we can't narrate what we don't know or understand. We may have looked at something, but if we haven't really seen it and turned our full attention wholly upon it, we won't be able to produce a good likeness of that object. So attention is a key factor in memory drawing mm -hmm. just as much as it is in reading and narrating the habit of attention. Yeah. Okay. Really quick though, I did want to just clarify for my listeners the term narration. So if you're familiar at all with Charlotte Mason, you know, narration is an important part of the method. And actually if people who aren't even that familiar with her would know she's big on reading living books and then narration. And that's just very very basically um, telling back in your own words what you heard or learned from a reading that you listened to or read yourself. Um, and it could be done orally and you just tell it back or it could be done um, as a written narration once the student has achieved, you know, fluency in their writing. All right. So Emily, because you said the fact that the child needs to sort of secure their whole attention to this in order mm -hmm. to store this, it reminds me of Charlotte Mason in volume one, Home Education. You want the child to remember, then secure his whole attention, the fixed gaze of his mind, as it were, upon the fact to be remembered. Then he will have it by a sort of photographic process. That factor idea is taken by his brain. And when he is an old man, perhaps the memory of it will flash across him. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great way to put it in, even into visual terms like that. Like it's yes. imprinting yeah. something on your brain. Physically. Yes. And I think that the context of that quote, she is talking about reading and hearing something. It's not a visual thing, but she uses a visual term. Like we will see once we have stored something in our memory, it's like a photograph that we have inside our mind. Yeah. Which is an amazing thing if you're learning to read in a Charlotte Mason education, the mm -hmm. visual picturing of words becomes pretty important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think she really did um, have such a high view of memory and um, going back to narration too, just incidentally, narration is still the process by which we actually know things long-term. It's how we put something in long-term memory. So Charlotte Mason said, memory is the storehouse of whatever knowledge we possess. And it is upon the fact of the stores lodged in the memory that we take rank as intelligent beings. She's elevating it quite highly. Like what we can remember actually is what makes us intelligent. She also talks of the pleasure it brings our souls of having a store of beauty that we can bring to mind at will. And she said, that which we visualize or imagine clearly, we know it is a life possession. So again, that kind of echoes what you just read. Possession, yeah, that they have forever. That's amazing. And she had great faith, I think, in our ability to do that when we do use our whole attention to something. We do secure it forever. So one of the teachers um, that Charlotte Mason asked to write about how she taught drawing in the parents review was Juliet Williams. And she said, 
that it is to encourage mental assimilation and give material for subsequent expression that I give an important place to memory drawing. Eye and hand cooperate more or less mechanically in drawing a thing that is in sight, but mental assimilation is necessary before anything can be drawn from memory. So it shows that the learning has to take place and then it's stored there. It's We have a firm grasp, taken a hold of something in our mind before we can do a memory drawing. So again, it's, it's a test for ourselves how well we know something, I think, when we make a memory drawing. And again, Charlotte Mason said, this is what we wish to do for children in teaching them to draw, to cause the eye to rest, not unconsciously, but consciously on some object of beauty, which will leave in their minds an image of delight for all their lives to come. So we don't teach our children to draw, so they'll be great and famous artists, but really it's a source of pleasure for themselves and they could bring more beauty into the world for others. And I think memory drawing is a huge part of this because it does develop our intellectual ability. It adds to our education in general, and it gives us pleasure, joy, and delight for the rest of our lives. So I would argue that it makes us better artists. The larger our store of images that we've deliberately studied, the broader our resources are for what we can draw and also how well we can draw. When we've truly looked at something closely, we're going to be able to render it better ourselves. I don't know that in my own education, well, for certain, I I attended a a liberal arts college, so Mm -hmm. obviously Mm -hmm. not taken from the theological perspective that she writes from, too, that, you know, we don't divorce those two things. Those things are very much in communion. So very much it was about you want to become the best to give yourself glory. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is not her aim at all. It's really widened out to actually, it probably the more you draw really shows your incompetence more, even just to yourself, not necessarily Mm -hmm. to others. But it's like the more knowledge you know, the the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. I, I think that gives such glory to the Lord and helps us to see that sort of helps us come to the end of our abilities. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that you cultivate this skill in order to do that. And you're cultivating this skill of memory work too. drawing some something simple as that. Mm-hmm. Emily, you and I have talked before about how Charlotte Mason's use of the memory drawing is brilliant memory work in general. So would you mm-hmm. like to expand on that a little bit? Sure. Well, I just I think what I think is brilliant is just how interwoven it is throughout the curriculum and how she believed first that children were capable of this intentional looking at something and then storing the images and that from a very young age, like even before they've started formal lessons, um, she talks about some exercises to do in the hours out of doors that begin honing this ability. But I just see so much of her method uses and develops that skill. So, of course, in nature study, you have close focused attention on a specific object and you're you know, learning to put your whole attention to some specimen that you're studying and that's storing those images into your mind. And then picture study, of course, we look at a famous work of art and we make a picture in our mind's eye of it and it 
forever hangs in the gallery of our mind, she talks about. And then even the way you mentioned this just a minute ago, how she taught reading really depended on the visualization and storing the image of the letters. But of course, that you know goes on in other aspects of language arts, just with copy work or transcription, as she called it, and then later dictation that you, we're seeing words and making the images in our mind. So we're developing this skill and it's not just in drawing, it's throughout the curriculum and in subjects that you wouldn't think are really that similar. You know, some of them are very disparate. We don't usually think about science and language arts as being so tied together. Of course, picture studies may seem a little more in line, but, you know, across the board, we are using and developing this skill. Um, so then our drawing work is relying on it. I just think it is so brilliant because it's simple. It's, you know, working with a, what the child can actually accomplish, but is helping them develop that to a much greater degree than the average person would. Like even myself, like I think this is a deficiency in my own artistic ability because I never honed my ability to do memory drawing, you know, when I was younger. Yeah, same here. So we can change that now, <laughs> right? Pretty discouraging. Yeah, I know when my when my son will say, Mommy, draw a bulldozer. It's like, well, I have never <laughs> stored a very accurate image of a bulldozer in my mind. So I'm so sorry. I will have to look at one and do that now. <laughs> oh, somewhere talking about, um, he would say, maybe it was El Gore. He would say, okay, children, draw a bicycle out of your mm -hmm. memory. And then he said something like half of the bicycles would not be able to work or, um, <laughs> right. you know, and then, or maybe yeah. it was scissors, could have been scissors to where he had the thing in his pocket. Then they were allowed to see, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which I even think that's a good attention honing device oh, yeah. too. like first showing them, okay, you have a deficiency here. Then mm -hmm. it's like, Ooh, that's really great bait for really, really look at this thing now. Yeah. There's another Charlotte Mason quote that, um, the mind can know nothing except what it puts in the form of a question it asks itself or answers in the form of a question it asks itself. So when we see a deficiency, we are asking ourselves that question, like, well, what does it look like there? What, you know, how does this work? And so then we ourselves want to know, and we are willing to put in the legwork to do the work of our education. Yeah. That's brilliant. See? So it's, it's very simple. It's not, there's not complex. There's not a lot of rules and, you know, regulations. This is this very natural, but how she approaches it, I guess, multifaceted approach. And that's just what I appreciate about her curriculum as a whole. So, and then I think that even as we practice and hone that ability to make memory drawings, then we're developing our powers that help those other areas as well. So the better I observe and make memory drawings, the better my language arts are going to be, you know, I'm going to be a better speller and my handwriting is going to be more neat and I'm going to learn to read better. I'll look more closely at the specimens that I'm studying in nature study. I'll be more observant. But I think, you know, when we hear the term memory drawing, we don't necessarily automatically think that it's based in reality or observation. I think we, I don't know why, but maybe because mm -hmm. we haven't practiced the skill, it's not that apparent or, you know, and and I think when we read what Mason says about memory, we see that she just put such a high value on the pictures that we store in our mind. That was kind of like a scientific 
um, research, observation, fact, record, you know, is a, is a more scientific approach than we maybe think of. Oh, I'm just going to draw something out of my mind, like make it up like a cartoon or more of a fantasy, something like for her, the memory drawings that they were to do were very much based on observation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they were supposed to be very accurate. I mean, maybe more simple, especially at first as we're learning to draw them from memory. We're not going to have all of the details of something, but it will be accurate insofar as it goes. Mm -hmm. So, And so then I think the skill can just be such a use to us in later life, you know, well, when your child asks you to draw a bulldozer, <laughs> maybe, you know, whatever. Even in our schooling, it can help us with our nature notebooks. If we can't bring a specimen home, we could do a memory drawing of it later. If we are out and we see something and we weren't planning, you know, and didn't have our nature notebook with us, we could do a memory drawing of it because we could turn our full attention to it and really make an image in our mind. And of course, animals move. (laughs) So I think the better we are at, you know, cultivating this habit of storing these pictures in our minds and then the ability to take them from our minds and put them on paper, we're going to be able to capture those fleeting moments where we see wildlife in nature. So I I just think there's so much application for this skill. Yeah. It just makes me really excited to correct my deficiency and prevent my children from growing up with the same one. Yeah. So a couple of the things I keep hearing you say and others is that, well, first of all, the full attention is a huge component. Mm -hmm. And then that drawing is seen mostly as a means to an end, never that that's the end and we're crafting little Michelangelo's or anything. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think I've taught art um, privately years ago. Anytime someone would ask me what I did and I would say, oh, I teach art. They're like, I can only draw stick figures. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this Mm -hmm. too, right? Like that's the thing people find out when you're an artist. Mm -hmm. I can only draw stick figures. And I think that's not really true. You just haven't learned or haven't practiced. And I think we're probably not going to you know, all of our children are not going to become fine artists with their lives, <laughs> but everyone can learn to draw with some proficiency. And so I think that's just another, I don't think Charlotte Mason was setting out to develop genius. Her aim was to give a full life. And so there are some ideas that can only be represented or discussed or brought into this world in a visual medium. This is giving our children that ability to do that. And I think it's the seeing something that is the root at what makes someone a good artist or not a good artist, right? Mm-hmm. Artist eyes or... Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think we think that those are just like a special gifting from heaven mm-hmm. or some people are born with it and some people aren't. But I think really it can be cultivated and developed in some degree, in, in a large degree in everybody. Yeah. Well, with a Charlotte Mason education, that would be possible. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. So we've talked a little bit about the big ideas, observation, imagination, what exactly the memory is doing and how these drawings are helping that. I'd like to talk about practical how-tos, how Mm -hmm. to help a child or anyone develop their skills in this area, how to learn to do memory drawings and how we can help our students with this. So Charlotte Mason even said, you know, I think we put a lot of stock in masterly and activity and not really 
teaching so much, but even Charlotte Mason in home education said that at first the children will want a little help in the art of seeing. (laughs) So she recognized that we do have to point things out to them. We need to direct their attention, but I wanted to walk through kind of the procedure that you would have for like giving a memory drawing lesson because it really is a lesson. It may seem like this very ambiguous, ethereal thing, but there's a very easy and yeah, straightforward way of helping your child unlock their potential to do that kind of drawing. So again, Juliet Williams, who I mentioned earlier, she was a trained teacher and wrote for the parents review. She describes her use of memory drawing a great deal in her article that she wrote teaching of drawing and its place in education. And that was reprinted in the parents review actually several times. And it was referred to in the program. So this was a resource that Charlotte Mason relied upon and she wrote it for art teachers and parents and how both could improve and help children cultivate their ability to draw. The first step she talked about is to actually place the object in front of them. So we're starting with a tangible object that we are looking at and we ask the child to study it and we want to help them to see. So we may um, direct their attention, ask them some questions. Where is, you know, the lightest part of this object? Where's the darkest part? What is the overall shape? How would you describe that? We might point out proportions. Like if we're looking at a person's face, you know, where are their eyes in relation to the top and the bottom of their head? It's not what they would normally think they know about it. And when they really look, they're like, oh, I see they're really in the middle. So any other peculiarity or detail, we can actually talk about that before we ask them to draw it. And then we would cover um, the object maybe with a cloth or depending on what it is, we might remove it from their sight. And then we ask them to draw what they remember. So that seems pretty straightforward, but then there's another step. Like we wanna bring that object back into their view. So uncover it or bring it back so that they can compare their drawing to the object before them. And that gives them the opportunity to say, oh, you know, I got this a little off or, oh, I did pretty good here or, oh, I didn't notice this before. Just like when we look at a picture study and we're making that picture in our mind, we want to form it fully and then we look at it again. Oh, yeah, I did remember all of those details um, just as we're working through it ourselves. So it's the same process with looking at an object that we are going to do a memory drawing of. Um, And you could do that a couple of times. Cover it again. You know, they can fix their drawing, uncover it, have them compare, do that again. They can make those corrections and changes. I think pretty simple way you could do a lesson. You don't have to be an artist to do that with your children. Right. Or an art teacher. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's not hurting or injuring the ability to have the attention, giving them several times to look at it in between? I I don't think so. Okay. So here's an example from my life. I was 25 and realized I knew like the names of four kinds of birds. And I thought that is just ridiculous. Um, I was starting to reach out at Mason and, you know, oh, I should know all of this natural history and I don't. Well, I knew a lot of other stuff. I just didn't know birds. So I set out to learn birds and I would just like, anytime I saw anything flying, (laughs) I would just stop and I'd look and I'd try and make the picture in my mind. And then I would go back into my field guide or I would look down to my field guide and be flipping through all the pages trying to find. And 
I couldn't find the bird that I was looking at because it had flown off and I didn't have it still in front of me. But it was through pouring over the pictures, I realized, oh, I don't know if it has any wing bars or I didn't catch the shape of the beak. And so as I looked through those pictures and the field guide tried to discern which, you know, small brown bird I was looking at, which, which type of sparrow or something, I realized what I had not paid attention to. So it was very educated for me because the next time I saw a bird, I would particularly look like, oh, does it have wing bars? Is there an eye ring? What is the shape of the beak? How long is its tail? All of those things. I didn't know to even look for those things. You know, I thought I was making a pretty good picture in my mind. So I think the same thing happens when you are looking at an object and then taking it away and then you compare your drawing. It's like, did I really draw my full attention to all of those things or did I get that accurate? It's just honing that ability. It's not weakening your attention. I think it's actually strengthening your attention. Now that you put it that way, they are led to see their deficiencies on their own than learning to self-correct. Absolutely. And I think that's the difference is it's an internal thing that they're learning to do that themselves. So genius. Like you said, these little things that are so brilliant and so so simple. Yeah. I want to commend that article to your listeners because she actually used other senses, all five senses, not just sight, to capitalize on this ability to make memory drawings or snapshots. There's one I always do when I do a workshop of putting a hard candy in your mouth that you hadn't seen, like them close their eyes and reach in a bag and put a hard candy in their mouth and feel it with their tongue. And then they have to draw the shape that they feel. So it's drawing on previously stored images of what shape is this, but having to taste it and feel it or, you know, and then she would talk about like giving them other things to taste and what does that taste remind you of? And can you draw what it is like, Oh, this is an onion and I know what an onion looks like and I'm going to draw an onion. Um, and just lots of brilliant things. Maybe you don't want to give onions to your kids, um, but you could do (laughs) other kinds of things. (laughs) So, um, maybe something like mint leaves or something like that. But anyway, Mm -hmm. Yeah. She has all kinds of all kinds of practical ideas and fun, I think, that could just enliven your drawing lessons. She said this sort of thing stimulates their imaginations and it makes them visualize from their stored observations things they have not seen but apprehended through another sense and is a good mental exercise. I really like that. I think, yeah, maybe all the senses these days get to be not as well used. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte Mason talks about that in home education too, you know, that we need to be cultivating all five senses. And I think she particularly talks about how smell is under cultivated. Oh, yes. But it is one of the things, actually, I'm just having this little epiphany right now. Isn't smell our sense that is most tied to memory? Like when we yeah. smell something, right? Yeah. So I, well, anecdotally from just my own experience, yes, it definitely calls me back right away to a period of time. Yes, exactly. So if it's already linked that much with memory, you know, how cool to bring it into doing memory drawings. You might smell an onion (laughs) instead of... There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know of any onion hard candies out there. Great idea Mm -hmm. is that hopefully for you listeners out there, that sort of spurs your imagination as to what you could use in a little session with your children. And if you have any children who are reluctant to draw and are just not on board, I mean, do the candy lesson because what child is not going to want to feel a piece of candy with their mouth? (laughs) 
<laughs> and make a drawing of it. Yeah, mom, can we do that one again today? <laughs> Home run every time right there. So really memory drawing, I think is just so crucial to all types of drawing. And a lot of the material about drawing from observation even was trying to encourage students to still form that picture in their mind so that they're not constantly looking up and down, up and down at their paper and then back at the object that is before them. It's just quick, you know, memory, but to see the overall shape and get that image in your mind so that when you look down, you can actually put the whole form onto your paper and look back and, you know, do parts of it. And so I think that gets honed naturally in all of us who draw. Um, we're able to do that more and more. But I think intentionally cultivating that from the beginning is just an added boon. It seems to me that with that's what you're doing in brush drawing, really, when you're capturing that whole form. Yes. It's really you're training your attention to really size up the entire thing really quickly mm -hmm. and then to make a stroke. It doesn't have to be a quick stroke per se, yeah. but your intention is to fully print this on the page as much mm -hmm. as you can mm -hmm. in a stroke or a few strokes. Mm -hmm. Because so. I think when you're able to give your whole attention to the image that you're creating on your paper without looking back and, you know, up and down, there is less distortion overall. Like you can get off, you know, between all of that looking. But if you know the image and you're seeing it bounded by a sheet of paper, like when they did brush drawings of specimens, they would pin it to an actual sheet of paper, the same size of paper that they were doing their own drawing on. And so you would see how the form fit on that paper. And so then you're looking down and putting that form shape on your own paper. I think it's easier to see all at one time. Yeah. Again, brilliant. <laughs> I know. One of the women who wrote um, a parent's review, I believe it was Mrs. Perrin, if I'm remembering which article it is, she said that they should make all of their mistakes in the air so that they could put down their strokes fearlessly, like using pretty strong adjectives. Yes. To actually even test yourself before you put your brush to paper, make it in the air, like the form that you see that you're going to try to capture. And I so, think that's smart from a if you're going to have it on that same size paper in front of you and then you have your paper, it's you're sort of getting the muscle memory mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. shape. If you do put your brush up to trace it, I think it's just right there what you see in your mind's eye. Very neat. With picture painting, it's fairly similar to an object lesson. Mm -hmm. It's more of a broadened out your imprinting whole scenes. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that is an exercise that Charlotte Mason talks about in home education to do out outdoors to make a picture like you would see hanging on the museum wall, like a landscape. So instead of just a single object, you're, like you said, looking at a scene and basically taking a picture of it with your mind. So I think it's very similar to the object lesson in that you are drawing your attention. And so she actually encourages the mothers to do this with their children and give them an example. Like, I have learned this scene and there's this. And relay that to them and just say, from now on, I'll have this hanging in my mental gallery and I'll be able to carry it around. And when it's a gray day, I can think about this beautiful scene that I once saw as if it was an actual painting. So I think that you're storing that image as well. So again, it's the same skill that is necessary for doing a memory drawing. And it would kind of lay the groundwork for 
doing that in later years. And maybe also the mother having that time with her child to sort of, I don't want to say impress, but at least when I have told my children a little story or a place I've been, they just sort of, their jaw drops a little bit like, wow, I want to go there. Mm -hmm. I, I want to do that. And you're giving them an idea of something, you know, outside of their experience and just priming, but also giving them the idea that they can also do this with beautiful scenes that they come across. I like that. When, you know, for example, when we're going on a nature walk here, I I think it would probably behoove everyone if beforehand I said, okay, this afternoon we're going to try to do a memory drawing of something we see today. Mm-hmm. So if you're walking along, along and you notice something beautiful, why don't we spend a few minutes looking at it and exploring it and then let's purpose to then draw it at a later time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe my mistake in the past have, has just not been thinking that far ahead mm-hmm. and then asking the student to do something that's totally outside of their ability because they didn't take some time to then observe a little bit. Right. Yeah, I think I, guess. I think it would really depend on um, their experience with memory drawing because I, I do think that that would be very hard to do if they hadn't been used to making any memory drawings. Like, And this is very foundational principle for Charlotte Mason. We don't give them work that's beyond their compass, that, you know, beyond their ability to execute well. We need to start smaller with things. So probably like doing a memory drawing of something that they saw and they could not check and, you know, evaluate their ability to accurately portray that, I think would be a big leap for most people who hadn't been developing this all along. I would recommend that once you have done memory drawing training and probably would want to prepare them. Find something that we'll take a mental picture of and then we're going to do a drawing. But at the same time, if your student has found something that has completely captured their attention and maybe you did do an object lesson on it and they really drew their full attention to that object, they might be inspired to do a drawing of it later. I actually have heard of this happening (laughs) with a child who is very reluctant always to draw in their nature notebook. This one day they're like, we're going to leave our nature notebooks back at the car and he found something very, and this is like a teenager found something that just captured his imagination. He thought it was so cool. He explored all about it. And when they got back, he didn't even, wasn't even asked to do a drawing or let alone a memory drawing. He just decided to draw it from memory. Okay, Emily. So you had just said that we really need to begin small. So what are some tools that we can use? when someone's just starting out, Mm -hmm. or maybe if they're reluctant because they want to always make a perfect drawing. Yeah, there are a lot of those students out there, I think, about a lot of things. And drawing is usually, you know, kind of the watershed moment in the day for a perfectionist child who is never satisfied with their efforts. And I think in both those instances, I think when we start out teaching memory drawing, that students in form one, so the earliest students, were to make memory drawings out of chalk or brush drawings or brushwork. And I think the chalk would be a great idea to start with, um, especially on a blackboard or a slate, something like that, because it's easy to rub out your mistakes and you can you know, quickly adjust something and then fix it. But I also think that there's another benefit to using that is that it's not permanent. 
it's not a permanent record. It's not, we're, you know, we have no expectations that we're going to make this perfect drawing and it's going to exist forever in our portfolio. It's going to get wiped off. And so I think that can help the child who seeks perfection all the time, kind of take that pressure off themselves just for the average student who doesn't even have that tendency that it is a good um, medium to begin doing a memory drawing just because of it's going to take a lot of practice to, you know, get more satisfied with how accurate you're able to, you know, take the image in your mind and put it on paper without having that object as a reference right there. So it's just take things in a natural order. Wise. Thank you, Charlotte Mason. And thank you, Emily Kaiser. You're so welcome. This was a great discussion. So glad to share just the richness, I think, and the broad, various, just how cohesive and comprehensive it all is. Yes, very much an education that would feed anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Emily, for sharing with us all of the research and the work and the reading that you've done on this topic. I think we've all benefited from it. And I can't wait to put these things into practice in my own life and for our school. Well, it was my pleasure. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about all of this today. Well, this was enlightening. And I'm already brainstorming ways I can reincorporate memory drawing, object lessons, picture painting, all of these living ideas with greater understanding in our lives. How about you? What are your ideas for implementing this crucial type of drawing instruction? If you want to follow me over on Facebook, go like my page, Bestowing the Brush. There, I share some longer form videos, interesting articles, and I update when podcast episodes come out. If you don't already though, please follow me on Instagram if you use that platform. It is really the visual companion to this podcast. I usually highlight one or more of the concepts I talk about in each episode, give helpful short videos on my IGTV channel, and lately, I'm hosting a very lively and active virtual version of the historic Fessilet Club from the Parents Review. If you don't know what the Fessilet Club is, follow my links in the show notes here, listen to my podcast episode 17 entitled The Fessilet Club, The Lemon, and then watch my corresponding IGTV videos for practical helps. If you want to join this month, you may want to get primed with a little lemon study after hearing Collingwood's first paper and review the drawings I've critiqued on IG first. Then listen for April's paper, scheduled to release on the first. No joke, guys. Okay, everyone, see you later and happy drawing.